You're listening to episode 42 of Fearless Rebel Radio. If you've ever lost your period or had irregular periods, something called hypothalamic amenorrhea, then you're not going to want to miss today's episode. I'm talking to Kate Callahan all about healing hypothalamic amenorrhea. (laughs) I have trouble saying that word. As well as her struggles with body image and discovering her identity outside of her abs. (laughs) So it's a great episode. Before we begin, I just want to tell you about three things. Number one, head to summerinandin.com forward slash freebies. If you aren't already on my weekly-ish updates. And if you go there, you will get my 10-day body confidence makeover as well as my ebook, 10 Rules to Break Right Now to Ditch Diets and Love Your Body. Secondly, you will get an exclusive invite to my private Facebook community, which is amazing. The women in there are so awesome. It's growing and budding, and I love being able to offer advice to everyone in there. So if you're listening to this and you're in there, I love you. Thank you. And if you're not, get yourself in there. So you can go to summerinandin.com forward slash community to get your invite into that. Or if you're on my email list, you'll get that invite there. Thirdly, Periscope. If you have not heard of Periscope, it's kind of my new obsession. It's an app that you need to download for your phone and it live streams video. So I can just go on and post a video and you can interact with me while I'm chatting. And I love it because it's real and it's authentic and that's always what I'm about and it's imperfect, which is awesome. You just got to roll with it. I love it. So you can communicate with me there. Um, You can ask me questions. I post all of the replays in my Facebook community group because the replays only stay up on Periscope for 24 hours. So if you're in the community, that's where I source a lot of the questions from and that's where I post the replays. So definitely make sure you're hanging out with me in the community. And that's it. Let's get started with the show. Do you know where you are? You're in Fearless Rebel Radio, baby. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a certified nutritional practitioner, diet rebel, and food lover on a mission to help you feel hot damn fearless in your body. Fearless Rebel Radio is here to empower you to defy the standards and break the rules in order to radiate confidence, relish in your uniqueness, and live life fearlessly on your own terms. Every episode, I will help you to do this by sharing practical advice, not-so-PG-rated rants, and interviews with Fearless Rebel guests. Welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am really excited about today's guest. She recently came out with an ebook that I am a contributor in, so I'm very excited to have her here today. Today, I have Kate Callahan. Kate is a holistic nutritionist, dietitian, personal trainer, and lifestyle coach specializing in hormone healing. Kate has over 14 years of experience in the health and fitness industry. She is passionate about helping others achieve optimal wellness through nutrient-dense traditional whole foods, adopting mindful and sustainable life practices, and moving in ways which rejuvenate rather than deteriorate the body. Kate's goal is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live life to the fullest each and every day. Kate can be reached at the Holistic Nutritionist.com, and Kate is also the author of 
the book Healing Hypothalamic Amenorrhea, which I was honored to be a contributor to. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you so much, Summer. Great to be here, and I was honored to have you as a contributor. Yes, and where where are you located? So for everyone wondering where your beautiful accent is coming from. I am an Australian, but I'm living in Wanaka, New Zealand, so a very small um, ski resort town in, in New Zealand. It's beautiful here, but it's very small and opposite side of the world to you. <laughs> <laughs> I am sure it's beautiful. I've always wanted to go there. Oh, that sounds amazing. You should. <laughs> yeah, I will. It's on my list. I moved to the West Coast, so I'd be able to travel to places like that a little bit easier, <laughs> like shaving <laughs> off five hours from where I was before. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it's on It's on my vision board. It's on my travel list for sure. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. So before we get started, and, and I really do want to kind of dive in and talk a lot about hypothalamic amenorrhea today because it's a really important subject, but why don't you tell everyone a little bit more about you and your story and how you got to where you are today? Uh, with hypothalamic amenorrhea? Well, with, yeah, sure, with that for sure, and and just even just how you got into the whole fitness and nutrition world. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, so I started in the fitness and nutrition world when I was about 17. Um, I became, I, I remember going to the gym. I was always at the gym and I saw a sign saying, would you like to get paid to come to the gym? I thought, yes, I would actually. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so that led me down the path of becoming a group fitness instructor. Um, and so I, I became a group fitness instructor at 17 and so I taught classes uh, Les Mills classes. I think you might have them over there. We do. So, They're good life. Yeah, the good life classes in Canada, at least that's what they are. Yeah, so like body attack, body pump, body steps. So I was mm-hmm. teaching many, many classes a week. Um, and then I decided to, even though I had a science mind, I decided to go into media and communications for some reason and worked in PR for a few years and then realized that didn't really work out for me. And I had a few health issues myself, which Doctors couldn't really help me solve, and I ended up figuring them out myself uh, with diet and lifestyle practices. Um, And then I realized that I wanted to go down that route myself in terms of helping others to heal themselves through food and through lifestyle. So then I went back to university to study nutrition and dietetics, which was a four-year university degree. It's a little bit different over there, I think, um, but we come out essentially the same. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and during that time, um, I was still teaching a lot of classes. So I was teaching up to 16 classes a week. Oh, my goodness. That is yeah. a lot. Yes. And I to heal my – so the health issues that I had, um, they were quite bad digestive issues. And I was actually diagnosed with celiac disease. And just going gluten-free didn't really help. And so I went down the route of a paleo diet. Um, and I went down the route of a very low-carb, high-fat paleo diet, so about 10% carbohydrates, 70% fat, 20% protein, meanwhile doing those 16 classes a week and studying and putting an immense amount of pressure on myself. So stress from all angles, really, and doing glycolytically demanding exercise. I had really, really low body fat. I was about 13% body fat. Wow, which is cool. about the level of a fitness competitor when they're up on stage. Oh, my goodness. Um, and that was me all year round. So basically at that time my period stopped because my 
my body fat was insufficient and because my calorie intake was insufficient, my carbohydrate intake was insufficient and my stress levels were through the roof. Uh, so I needed to address this obviously because there were some issues with fertility and I had a bone scan which was showing that my bones were of suboptimal density for my age, which is pretty scary. Um, and I was putting my heart health at risk. So in theory, the the way to heal your to get your period back when you have the condition hypothalamic amenorrhea, basically where you're well, we'll talk about that in a second, is to eat more exercise less and stress less. So that's what I needed to do, but I had my head in the sand for a couple of years because I didn't really want to change. Um, I was pretty caught up in my body. Um, Being a group fitness instructor for that long with people coming up to you all the time telling you how amazing your body is and how much they want to look like you, you kind of become your body, Mm -hmm. which is is pretty sad when I think about it now. but after two years of being in denial and trying to throw herbs and all sorts of expensive tonics at the situation, I succumbed and started to make some real diet and lifestyle changes. And after about seven months of changing and putting on some weight and putting on some body fat, I got my period back. And about four months later, I started to ovulate regularly. And about four months after that, I fell pregnant. And now I'm about to give birth in about three weeks. That's amazing. So (laughs) that's, uh, wow. That, I mean, congratulations, as I was kind of saying to you before we started recording that that's so exciting. Um, and yeah, and good for you for, you know, for taking charge of that, I think, and we'll talk about, you know, the mental side of it, but when you said, you know, you became your body and, and you were, you know, you were, I, and I know in your ebook, it says, you know, you were known for your abs, like, and there's a picture of you and it really is like, it's like your jaw kind of drops when you see your abs. Like you, you could see every muscle in your body (laughs) and, um, you know, to like that, that's just kind of a visually appealing thing, you know, that in our, in our culture, in our society and, um, you know, to kind of have the sense to say, you know what, like my, my health is, is more important and I need to focus on that. I think that takes a lot of courage to really, to let that, to let that go. Yeah, it does. It's scary. It is really scary, especially when when you're getting that that well, yeah, it's reinforcement all the time. That to to change that around and do a complete flip essentially is is scary, but it's it's worth it. Yeah, and did you find um, when you were did you feel like you were addicted to exercise when you were teaching all those classes as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. I loved it. Um, but the funny thing is I didn't actually feel that great. I felt great when I was teaching and straight after, but I was exhausted all the time. So I'm pretty sure I had quite severe adrenal fatigue as well from doing too much. So I would get up in the morning, teach class, and then go back home and go to bed for an hour. And then that's all I would do. I would teach class, eat, sleep. Yeah. And was it really hard for you to, to let go of the, of exercising so much or, um, did you find it to be kind of okay because you started to feel more rejuvenated? Oh, it was difficult. It was difficult. It wasn't a, a full on just stop straight away. I weaned myself off the exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I had the advantage that it was, um, it was my job. And I, I know that might sound weird, but 
it wasn't something that I did out of just something that I I do every day. I, I had to do it as a job, and so in a way that was kind of an excuse to to back off a little bit. Um, so oh, okay, well it's a job. It's like going on a holiday from your job, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but it was difficult to back off and to you know change from doing body attack to going for a walk. That's quite significant. So I had to learn to love walking and. Um, I talk about this in the book as well, how I embraced yoga and that really, really helped with the mental side of things because I could appreciate my body's ability as opposed to its aesthetics and I could still set goals for myself and I could still feel strong but at the same time I was balancing my hormones and decreasing my stress as opposed to the the opposite. Yeah, I love how you said um, appreciating abilities instead of aesthetics. I think that that's a really good phrase to remember. So let's take a step back. And for people who are kind of wondering what hypothalamic amenorrhea is, do you want to just tell everyone sort of what it is and, and, um, how that happens? Sure. Yeah. So, but basically if we think of it in two parts, so hypothalamic refers to your hypothalamus, which is in your brain. It's kind of your master control center, um, in terms of hormones and amenorrhea basically means absence of a period for, um, greater than three months. So hypothalamic amenorrhea is losing your period as a result of some dysfunction in your hypothalamus. So in simple terms, it means your brain basically stops communicating to your ovaries to produce sex hormones. So for a normal, healthy menstrual cycle, your hypothalamus will tell your pituitary to release hormones, which will then will tell your ovaries to release hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone to a certain extent, which will help to regulate healthy menstrual cycle. It'll help to tell your body to menstruate. It'll tell your body to ovulate. And I'll tell your body to prepare for a baby to come. Um, None of that happens when you have hypothalamic amenorrhea. There's that disconnect. And why that happens, uh, a number of reasons. Uh, Insufficient energy availability. And what I mean by that is not enough calories or carbohydrates or fats or proteins for your body to work uh, optimally. So your body recognizes this as a famine, so to speak, a state of stress, and it goes, okay, well, I don't have enough calories to function on all levels for everything to work optimally, so I'm going to shut off all of my non-vital systems. And reproduction is not vital. We can survive without reproduction. I mean, we see that with people getting hysterectomies. You can take out your whole reproductive system basically and and still, I'm not going to say fine because <laughs> you probably won't feel great, um, but you, you can live. Right. Um, So insufficient energy availability, excess psychological stress. So a lot of people will try and put the stress kind of on the the back burner. It'll be the last thing that they address. But research has actually shown that psychological stress alone can trigger hypothalamic amenorrhea because, again, it's putting that body in your body into that stress state, that fight or flight, where it senses that it's not an ideal time to reproduce, to make a baby. So it shuts off the system. Um, so they're the, basically the main ones also being on the pill. Mm. And, and do you mean like actually being on the pill or having been on the pill? Oh, having been on the pill. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. So a lot, cause it happens when you come off of it. Is that, that's right. It's, it's something that a lot of people experience when they come off of it. Yes. Especially when you started the pill at an early age, because it disrupts that 
uh, establishment of the connection between the hypothalamus and the ovaries that occurs during puberty. So if you're taking the pill at 16 when that connection's occurring, your body goes, okay, well, I don't need to establish this relationship with my ovaries and uh, between my ovaries and my brain because I'm getting synthetic hormones. I don't need to do that. So then you have to try and figure that out when you come off the pill. Yeah. So that's, oh, that's really interesting that you say that. So I kind of, um, I mean, most, I, th- I feel like, well, maybe people listening maybe don't know this about me, but because um, I had uh, hypothalamic amenorrhea, and obviously that's why I contributed to your ebook as well, because um, I had my own story with it. And, uh, and, and I was on the pill since I was 13 years old, because as soon as I got my period, they were so heavy and uncomfortable that the doctor put me on the pill immediately. And so that was one of the things that my naturopath said to me was like, you never really actually went through puberty. Um, like your brain never really figured out how to kind of do this on its own. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's interesting to kind of hear you, you talk about it as well. And then for me as well, I was doing, I had all the other stuff going on as well in terms of the insufficient energy with the overtraining and under eating and then the psychological stress as well. Cause I was working like 16 hour days at the time. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I kind of, it was actually really no surprise that that happened to me as well. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, and what we'll talk about is that recovery is, is possible, but that it, it, you know, there's a lot of, um, issues around it. Like it's, it means that other things are not functioning properly in your body. Is that, can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, yes. Yeah, so the issues with hypothalamic amenorrhea. Yeah. Like what are the other, cause I mean, some people might say, Oh, it's great. I don't have my period. Like what? Not a big deal. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to worry about it. But, and, and I think that that's especially if you're not looking to kind of reproduce, but, mm-hmm. um, there actually are a lot of kind of health consequences associated with it. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. I think the, yeah, the big one that people realize is infertility. Um, and that's, not necessarily a big trigger for many people. I mean, if someone has hypothalamic amenorrhea at 22 and all they think is that the only issue is infertility, they're not really going to be that compelled to change. They're, well, I don't really want babies just yet. I can kind of address that down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's not to say that all 22-year-olds or all young people would be like that. I have some very young clients and they're very dedicated and onto it. It's impressive. I love it. Um but the the bigger concerns I find other than infertility are bone density, um, and I talk about this in my book as well. So when we have um, hypothalamic amenorrhea, so the hypothalamus, as I mentioned before, communicates to the ovaries produce, to produce estrogen. If that doesn't occur, your estrogen levels will fall, and this is a key marker of hypothalamic amenorrhea if you're getting blood tests. Your estrogen levels will be in the postmenopausal levels. They'll be pretty much flatlined. Now that's an issue for bone density because we need estrogen to prevent our bones breaking down and prevent bone resorption. So prevent that the bone being resorbed into the blood to provide calcium into the blood. So it's a really key marker seeing that suboptimal bone density with people who have hypothalamic amenorrhea due to insufficient estrogen. Um, Another issue that people don't really realize as much. So some people know about the bone density, but the other one is heart health. Mm. Um, and that that's not quite as clear as the, the bone density, but what they think is the role of estrogen in producing something called nitric oxide. And nitric oxide is important for our blood vessels to contract and relax properly. 
And so if that's not happening properly, then you're more likely to be at risk of uh, cardiovascular disease or things like stroke, heart attack and things like that. So they're the, the big issues. Yeah. Malaria. And then I think there's also, you know, a lot of the just resounding signs and symptoms that, um, that, that manifest that are often in conjunction with sort of the adrenal fatigue that often goes along mm-hmm. with it. Like, you know, not having like low sex drive, uh, you know, being fatigued all the time, things like that. Right. Yeah. And often, um, thyroid issues mm, can have been right. as part of it as well. It's, so it's all interconnected. It's not just your reproductive system isolated. It's, it's absolutely, I, I, I'm sure they'll realize that there's other aspects that it's touching as well. I'm sure it has a role in immune function because we know that estrogen has a role in, in immunity. Um, yeah. And in your book, you know, you, you tell the story of several women who have suffered from hypothalamic amenorrhea. And one thing I found so interesting is that, you know, I, and this was something that I sort of said, I I didn't actually say it in the contribution that I gave you, but it was something that I've just sort of thought at the time. And that I read a couple other of the other women say is that they were the healthiest they had ever been. And so it can be almost confusing because I think, and it happens and it's kind of like, in your story where on the surface, if you looked at, okay, wow, you're eating so clean and you're exercising so much and, you know, like, look at, you have these abs and this muscle definition, you must be so healthy, but really that's, that's not actually the case. And it, it it seems kind of counterintuitive that we kind of go into this mindset of like, oh, I'm so healthy. So then it doesn't seem like a problem when it's actually happening. I think that's partly due to our picture of what health is um I think we define health around how we look a lot these days and a lot of people will be of the belief that if you're quote-unquote overweight according to the the BMI that you can't be healthy whereas a lot of overweight people are probably healthier than normal or underweight people Mm -hmm. um so I think we think if we're if we are that lean person, if we're ripped and you can see our abs and we're muscular, then we're and we're doing exercise all the time, then we must be healthy. But reality is, a lot of us who do that amount of exercise only really feel good when we're doing the exercise, and outside of that, we don't feel that great because we're relying on the exercise to boost those endorphins up, um, and with the eating. Yes, it's it might be healthy, but that can be taken to an extreme as well, and that creates an excess stress on the body. So we're, like, we're eating really clean, we're eating perfectly, but when you get too caught up in the perfect, that's that just creates a stress. Yes, it's a lot of the psychological stress too. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and so how did you, how do, you know, what steps did you need to take to really overcome the, you know, that, some of that psychological stress that you were going through? Mm-hmm. I needed to <laughs> reevaluate my priorities. So at the time I was, uh, I was studying, so I was doing my degree. I was also doing another online course. Why not study two courses at once? Um, <laughs> I was planning a wedding. Oh, wow. Um, I was teaching classes and I was also still working part-time in PR. So <laughs> something had to give. So I needed to pull back. Obviously, I couldn't not plan my wedding. That had to go in. Yes. <laughs> um, so I had to pull back right on, uh, pull right back on the classes to, to reduce the psych- psychological stress. Um, 
I needed to learn to be kinder to myself. So I was one of those people that really embraced stress. I would wear it as a badge of honor. So yes, I'm, I'm, I'm so stressed, which means I'm so busy, which means I'm successful, which is dumb. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, or identifying with being busy, right? Like it's just, Yeah. yeah. Whereas now I look at success as if I have time to do the things I want to do and take time out, then that's success. <laughs> how did you get to that point? Like, how did, how are you able to kind of reframe that to, for yourself? Oh, patience, um, compassion. It's taken a lot of time to get to that point. Um, and constant reminding myself of that as well, because sometimes I can still get caught up in the busy, but I no longer wear it as a badge of honor because I know how harmful stress can be. And I know that me telling people that I'm stressed and wearing it as a badge of honor is essentially influencing them as well. And maybe even thinking that they should be busier and creating stress on them. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to place that stress on other people. Does that make sense? That does make sense. I like the way that you reframe that, especially being, uh, you know, being the fact that you're in like a coaching position, you're in that role where you need to kind of set that example. And I think that that's a good way to reframe it. And I think that that's good for anyone, even if they're not in kind of a leadership or a coaching position where they're helping people with these things is just, you know, setting the example for even just the loved one, whether it's your children or your spouse or any, or your friends. Yeah, I think so. I think it's important. Yeah, no, I I like that a lot, actually. I think I need to adopt it a little more in my own <laughs> life, to be honest. <laughs> I, I I suffer from the same thing, and it's been, um, you know, I'll go through periods where, you know, I'm like, okay, no, it's, it's, it's all good, and then it's easy to get sucked back into that vortex, and... Um, you know, it's, I think when you, when you sort of have that personality, it's, you know, it never goes away completely. It, it can come back and rear its head. And, and I think it's something that, you know, you have to really, you have to work at, you have to work at not being busy. Mm. <laughs> it's actually yeah. like harder <laughs> to work on not being busy than it is to be busy. <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a challenge to allow yourself to lie on the couch and watch Game of Thrones. Well, it's partly a challenge, partly not. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but when you're in that like more, more, more mentality, uh, which, you know, it, it kind of goes in all facets. So it's not just, you know, the work and, um, and school, but it, then it's like, you know, you need to do more in terms of, you know, eating even cleaner and working out even more. And it's that, and it's that push at that will drive you to, into the ground and really kind of be that big domino that causes everything else to sort of fall apart. Mm, absolutely absolutely and so what do women need to do if I mean if there's and I think one of the other things actually uh, before I jump into that question is um hypothalamic amenorrhea is also irregularity too like it's not just complete absence of period it can just be something that's really irregular is that right uh it's more so the absence, but in yeah, in rare circumstances, it can be irregular. And often, when you get your period back after having amenorrhea, it will be irregular as well. Okay, yeah. So it's, so it's menstrual dysfunction. Okay, no, that's good. Good to know. And so, what do women need to do to recover from it? If you know, if they're listening to this and they've suffered from it, or they're suffering from it, or they're thinking of coming off the pill and they may be suffering from it. Yeah. 
Thank you. Uh, so I, I go through steps in my in my book to take, um, but I would say the first step you need to take is understanding your why. Uh, you really, really need to get your head around it because there needs to be big changes occurring in your life and you need to essentially go against what you've thought for possibly many, many years and change the way you look and change the way you behave. So understanding your why, whether it's for fertility, I find that's the biggest driver, or if you want to improve your bone density or decrease your risk of heart disease, they're big drivers. If it's just because you think you should, I find that that can be more challenging to overcome. Mm. So sitting down and actually writing out the pros and cons of changing, the pros and cons of not changing and evaluating that and looking at it and thinking, is it, is it really worth staying the same or am I better to change for the long run? So you've got that clear idea on paper and you can look back and say constantly because you will doubt yourself along the way and you'll want to go back to your old ways. But when you've got it written down and you're really clear about it, you can say, no, I know I'm doing the right thing at the moment on this day. I don't feel that great, but I'm doing the right thing. So that would be the first step. Then I would say get support. Support is really, really key. Um, I did this by blogging about my issues, so the whole interwebs kind of new. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was overwhelmed by the support. I mean, it's a scary thing to tell people who think that you're this picture of health, that you're not healthy at all or even to admit to friends or family members that you're not healthy and you need to change and you maybe need to put on a bit of body fat. You don't even need, a lot of people think that they need to gain, you know, 10 kilos, which is about 20 pounds. Um, but it's not necessarily that much amount of weight. And it's different for everyone, but a lot of people think, oh my God, I have to get fat. No, you don't have to get fat. Um, and even if you did, is that a problem? No. Um, but... So so changing, so a lot of people will think that if they change their body that people won't like them anymore mm-hmm. and people will judge them. So when you keep that thought in your head, that will keep um, eating at you and you'll, you'll continue to think that. But once you get it out of your head and you speak to your friends and your family about it, you'll realize that they love you for so much more than what you look like or how much exercise you do or the way you eat. They love you for you. And so you need to, you need to vocalize that so you can have that conversation and so you can be in that better place and go, okay, I've got their support. I can do this. Because without that support, you're more likely to listen to the crazy female brain inside your head. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and go back to your old ways because, again, there will be days when you want to go back to your old day, old ways. Um, so getting your head around that psychological part is really, really key um, and learning to to love your body and building a better body image. And I know that's everything that you talk about, Summer, with your program, which is awesome. Um, and I go through some of that in my ebook as well with some great tips from all of my contributors, which I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, the more practical side of things would be eating more. So having a look at what you're eating and probably, probably increasing most, but well, I don't, haven't met anyone who needs to decrease what they're eating with hypothalamic amenorrhea. So increasing, making sure that you're getting enough carbohydrates, um, 
from whatever sauce works for you. I prefer starchy vegetables, but, you know, if bread works for you, have some bread. I probably wouldn't make it the base of the diet because you want to be getting the most amount of vitamins and minerals that you can get into your body as well to encourage it to work optimally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then pulling back on the exercise and not stopping exercise altogether. I think that there's another misconception that you just have to lie on the couch. Um, I don't think that's healthy physically or mentally. It's more about changing the style of exercise you're doing. So going from those chronic cardio, CrossFit, uh, aerobics, running, things like that, and switching it to more gentle exercises such as yoga, still doing a bit of resistance training to keep your bone density strong um, and walking, getting out in nature, doing things that you enjoy really. So movement for the sake of movement as opposed to exercise for the sake of burning calories. Yeah. And I think that's hard. I mean, it's, I feel like, and you, I think you said this yourself, it took you a while to, to, did it take you a while to love yoga and walking? You know, you had to, you said you had to learn to love it. So <laughs> I, I kind of experienced the same thing, you know, it was like, okay, I'll, I'll go and do yoga. And I, I had to stop doing any intense stuff at CrossFit. And I would just kind of go in and do some, um, you know, mobility and, uh, just some like accessory work just cause I didn't, I still wanted to be in that community because a lot of my, you know, I was friends with the people there and that was a part of my life from like a, a social perspective. So I didn't want to completely, you know, miss out on it. So I would just go in and I had like a special program that I was following using their equipment, but I wasn't doing the classes anymore. And it was really hard mentally in the beginning. Like I, I, I was kind of miserable and I hated it, but <laughs> I tried to kind of embrace it. Like I just called it, I think I called it like the sloth program. And <laughs> I said, I'm just, I'm doing this sloth program for a while. Like I need to just, you know, I'm, my body's not working properly. And I just, I talked about it and, uh, and I found it helpful to kind of just get the support of the other people there as well, like you said, but it mentally, it was really, really hard for me because I was definitely an exercise addict as well. Yeah, it is. It is really, really hard. And I think the approach that you took somewhere, I think that's a really great approach. And I encourage that with a lot of my clients who maybe are in love with CrossFit um, but I'll encourage them to, instead of going five or six days a week, go two or three days a week, which is, I think, what CrossFit is more designed to do. It's, yes. <laughs> if not, more is better. And I might encourage them to focus more on, say, the, the technique and, and the lifting as opposed to the wads. Um, so they're still getting that social interaction, but they're not smashing their body every single time and walking out absolutely defeated so still getting that and then changing the other days to things like yoga. So you're still getting a bit of a bit of both. But it does take time to to love the more gentle movements. But once you get into yoga, it can actually be quite challenging. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I loved it. And I think you have to just find a teacher that that really and, and a class that you really enjoy. I ended up finding the most amazing instructor and she she actually had us doing really fun stuff every every class. So it was it was a little bit more aligned to kind of the just my the way that I like to operate and my values because I find it hard to just be really zened out in, in like a, you know, more of a gentle yoga class. So while it was still gentle, she still added like an element of kind of fun and challenge to it. So, there, you know, we would always be working on um, something a little bit different, like either, you know, hand balancing or, or like, you know, headstands or handstands. So it was, it was fun. Like there was still that challenge. And so I, I encourage people to kind of just keep 
trying and finding different ones. And now I love it. I love even like, you know, the more gentle uh, approach to yoga, but I had to kind of just find my gateway yoga class, which was a little bit more like it was a lot, it was a little bit less traditional. (laughs) But I I think if you can go into yoga and you, you can set yourself those so they're kind of still like performance goals. So you'd have your performance goals in, in CrossFit. You might have your performance goals in running, so running in a, a certain distance in a certain time. When you go into yoga, you can say, okay, I want to be able to do a headstand. And I think that's wonderful to to have those goals as well, and especially for us type A personalities, which who kind of need goals every now and then. <laughs> yeah, and it is really fun to be able to achieve that stuff. I think it's so cool and you can do so much with it. So, and and I think that this applies, you know, even to people who are listening to this who who uh, don't have hypothalamic amenorrhea. I think it's just anyone who feels exhausted and stressed out can benefit from any of this advice that we're giving. <laughs> like the <laughs> recovery is really the same. I mean, anyone with adrenal fatigue, the recovery is really the same as it is with with hypothalamic amenorrhea because that's often just a, a symptom of adrenal uh, dysfunction. Yeah, 100%. So getting support uh, and understanding from doctors can be really difficult. You know, I, I personally saw a lot of specialists who told me that my only solution was the pill. So what is your advice for women who are feeling kind of helpless and don't know, you know, who to turn to for support in, in the realm of maybe like um, a medical professional? Mm, that's a tricky one because I do find that not many doctors really understand it. Um, a lot of doctors will misdiagnose it as PCOS. Mm. Um, a lot of di- uh, doctors will say it has nothing to do with the food you eat or how much exercise you do, which I want to bang my head against a wall when I hear that. Um, so finding finding a more of a holistic doctor or a doctor who practices um, integrative or functional medicine who is probably more likely going to be open and willing to listen. And if you find someone who doesn't listen to you, find someone else. Um, yeah. So don't just settle for any any person to go to. And if someone makes you feel bad about yourself or if they tell you something you're not willing to do, so if they say that you need to go on the pill to get your period back or if they tell you that you, you have, you'll need fertility treatment to fall pregnant, which is what I was told. I was told I would never fall pregnant naturally, which I did. Um, and that makes you feel horrible. So smile, say thank you, and walk out and find someone else and trust that your body can heal itself. It takes time, but it will happen and you need to find someone that's going to be supportive of you. And that can take a little bit of hunting around. Yeah, it can. And I, you know, I experienced something that was interesting in my, in when I was going through it is I went to see a gynecologist and he actually said to me, um, like he looked at me and he was like, there's no way you have, you, you he caught, well, he, I think he was kind of referring to like the female athlete um, tri, tri, triad, which is, you know, when you have like too low body fat and you're overtraining and under eating, mm-hmm. I think that's what the three things are in there. But anyways, um, he was like, you, your body fat's too high. That's not, you don't have that. And, and, um, because I, I was probably around, I don't even know, like 21% body fat. But for me, that's like too low body fat for my body. Like that was pushing it. And that was me like, you know, working out seven days a week, eating 1100 calories. That was the lowest my body fat could ever get to. Um, but, and so I think it's all relative. Like I know for you, you were at, you know, like a 13% body fat. 
Um, but for some women, it's going to happen at a higher percentage of body fat because it's more about like where that healthy balance is for you, where that healthy percentage is for you. Is that, is that right? Is that, have you seen that in your experience yes. too? I'm so glad you brought that up because I have a lot of women who contact me and say, I've got enough body fat, but I still have hypothalamic amenorrhea. And as you said, Summer, it's, if you're eating 1,100 calories a day and smashing yourself at the gym every single day and or if you've got this psychological stress, that same same cascade of events is, is still going to occur. Um, and on that note, I think it's really, really important as a way of healing to encourage women to not compare themselves to others. I mean, I have a lot of clients who come and say, I see all these skinny women around me and they don't have period issues and they can still do everything. Why me? And I say, well, one, you don't know if they've got their period or not. I ask them, I said, do you know if they've got their period? No. <laughs> well, yeah. don't, can't say that. And number two, someone can be skinny and still have their period because they've got sufficient body fat levels for them and they're nourishing themselves enough for them and they're probably not smashing themselves as much. I mean, we're all different in what we can and can't tolerate. So comparing yourself is just going to stress you out more and make you more upset and it's just irrelevant what other people are doing. Focus on yourself. That's that's all you need to do. Yeah, and that, it's such a good point because I, I, you know, I fully fell into that trap as well in, in terms of thinking, um, well, you know, it's impossible because I still have like, you know, I didn't, I had some abs, but it wasn't like I had a, you know, I probably had like four and a half abs showing, <laughs> not like six or eight. So like, but for me, I mean, nothing would ever be enough for me. I think even if I got to 13% body fat, I would still be like, this isn't enough. Cause, cause the issue was so much more mental and psychological than it was like actual outer exterior. But, um, yeah, no, it's so good that you brought that up in terms of comparisons. It's just like you have a unique body with unique needs and, um, and you have to kind of just separate yourself from thinking that you're going to be like somebody else. Like it's just, we're not, we're all so different. We are. And that's, what's great. We don't want to be the same as everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're, it, on, while we're on this topic, I think it's, you know, when our self image becomes so intertwined with our body image, like you, you said in the beginning, you had become your body. And I think many of us are really chasing after this body to just, find a way to love ourselves because we think that that's the, the way to, to feel loved. You know, how did you overcome that body image piece? Like how did, you, how were you able to, um, step away from being, you know, your body kind of defining who you were? That was one of the hardest things to do probably. Um, and it took a lot of time and it was not a linear progression. So, so glad you said that. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> <laughs> there would be days when I would feel awesome and then there would be days where I'd feel fat and frumpy and want to go back to exercising like a maniac and eating less. Um, how did I get over it? Uh, I stopped weighing myself because that just did my head in um, and I felt a lot better in myself after doing that. Um, I Yoga helped with that as well. I kept a gratitude journal. So I would keep my mind more in the positive side of things as opposed to the negative. Um, and I embraced uh, affirmations, which sounds really, really hippie, but I found that they helped me a lot. So I don't know if you've heard of Louise Hay. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love Louise Hay. Louise Hay and Gabrielle Bernstein. Mm -hmm. uh, 
absolutely amazing and I can't recommend them highly enough. But Louise Hay has all these beautiful, beautiful affirmations that basically you tell yourself on a day-to-day basis. So it might be, I love my body or um, I am strong and healthy and fertile, which basically gets you, again, into that positive mindset. And once you keep telling yourself these things, eventually you start to believe them. Um, I had another practice of, and this might sound a little bit strange, but it, it really, truly helped. When I would get out of the shower, I would stand in front of the mirror and I would do a scan through my body um, and I would look myself in the, in the mirror and say, oh, you know, I, I love my boobs, I love my belly, I love my bum, I love my thighs. And I would do that every time I had a shower, so, you know, twice a day, every single day um, until I believed it. And that helped to to build that better body image. Um, I also stopped following people on social media mm-hmm. who made me feel crap about my body. So all the the Fitzbo, all those women who had their six, eight, four and a half abs. <laughs> yes. Um, so I stopped following those because they would make me doubt myself, and I didn't want to doubt myself. Um, and I was just, I was more compassionate with myself and realized that it was going to be a journey and realized that my husband and my friends would still love me regardless. And I was very open with them and I spoke to them quite regularly and they were really, really, really helpful and positive and supportive. Like they would, they would tell me I was ridiculous if I, if I said anything about, you know, do you wish I was skinny <laughs> again, which is it sounds really dumb when I say it now that I even brought it up, but um, that was a real fear of mine you know, that I needed to overcome. Yeah, and you know, I love how you're being so honest about it because it's—I think most people can can relate to that. It, and I think you know, once you've kind of moved past it, it can seem a little bit silly. But when you're in that frame of mind, like that, really is what dictates so much of your of your thought process. Is just. You know, it's this fear of of being judged and this fear of of not being accepted and not being loved. And so I think like actually stating that to the people around you just to get their support and just to really kind of know like it does it doesn't matter to those people at all. Much like in your own head, it doesn't matter if your significant other or your friends lost or gained weight. Like, why would that matter? <laughs> it doesn't change who they are. Um, and I and all the things you did were things that um, that I that I sort of embraced as well in one form or another. So, um, getting rid of the scale, especially as, as most people know, like that's just it's so important. <laughs> Have you seen the yay scales? Uh, no. What is that? (laughs) So they're called yay scales and you step on them and they'll give you a yay. So basically they'll tell you you're beautiful. You're sexy. Hey, gorgeous. Oh, that's hilarious. To giving you a number. I think we should all have yay scales. (laughs) Oh, that's so, that's great. Is it an actual, like you can actually purchase this thing? (laughs) You can buy them. Google it. Yay scales. You can buy them. Oh, I will link to that in the show notes. That is so funny. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's uh that's the only use for a scale really exactly exactly well because we we allow the number on a scale to determine our mood so many people I speak to they say yeah I was feeling really good and then I jumped on the scale and it gave me a number I didn't want to see and it ruined my day I mean how ridiculous is that when as females our our weight can fluctuate by as much as three kilos or six or seven pounds 
in a day was just fluid because of our hormones. It's not, you can't physically put on that much weight with fat in a day, but that's not what our brain tells us. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And, uh, that was, I mean, I, I can't even remember. I believe it was, I I haven't stepped on the scale in like over, over two, maybe even three years now. Like it's been so long that I can't even remember. (laughs) I'd have to go back to like, look at the date of when I actually did that photo shoot with the scale to kind of remember. But, um, like it's just, uh, yeah, it's so nice not to have to worry about it. (laughs) Not care. I don't care at all. My scale would say who cares. (laughs) I'm going to develop the who cares scale. So every time you step on it, it'll just say, who cares? (laughs) Why does it matter? Um, no, that's that's so great. And so you're you're about to have a baby, which is amazing. So what are some of your daily rituals that keep you um that kind of keep you grounded and keep you loving and appreciating your body? Mhm. Do, do you know what's really weird is before I felt pregnant, I probably would have thought that I wouldn't I'd have concerns about my body when being pregnant, especially heavily pregnant with 3 weeks to go. But I actually love my body more than ever right now. I think it's so, so beautiful. Um, But I do do keep up all of my daily practices in terms of as soon as I wake up, I go straight to my yoga mat and do yoga. And that might only be 15 minutes, half an hour. I don't do an hour every day as much as I would love to. But I start my day with yoga um, to get me in that positive mindset. I also start my day with affirmations as well. So I have Louise Hayes um, calendar. She has a little calendar with a new affirmation every single day, which you can get on Amazon. I highly recommend it. So I'll go to that. And then I'll take my time eating my breakfast and nourishing myself with real food, Uh, really focus on deep belly breathing to keep my body in that sense of calm as opposed to that stressed state. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I don't really focus on my body as much anymore. I think I focus more on how I feel um, as opposed to what I what I look like, and I focus more on my social interactions and my enjoyment with my friends and my family and, and loved ones around me and my cat. <laughs> that's great. No, I think that's really good that you said that because I do – I think that, you know, you have to almost focus on your body a bit in the beginning when you're doing body image work, but it really gets to the point where you're just like – you stop thinking about your body. Like that's the point. <laughs> Having yeah. your body image means you don't think about your body anymore. It's like – and so, uh, no, that's – that's I love how you mentioned that. And you're not the first person to kind of tell me that, you know, they had really – they felt really good in their body when they were pregnant. You know, sometimes some of the women I work with – um, who've had babies, when I ask them, like, when was the last time you felt really comfortable in your skin? And they say it was when they were, when they were pregnant. So I think it's just having that other little life force in you can be pretty powerful. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. <laughs> Nothing I've experienced, but <laughs> um, I, can, I can't even imagine. So as we wrap things up here, the last question that I like to ask all of my guests is, what is the most fearless thing that you have done? Oh. <laughs> Oh, the most fearless thing that I've ever done. Hmm. Probably speak about my issues with hypothalamic amenorrhea online. That was really scary for me, mm-hmm. right, writing that blog, that initial blog that I admitted that I was a health professional who was not healthy. That was scary for me. It takes a lot of courage to do that, for sure. 
I'm so glad I did. I'm so, so glad I did. The amount of women that I get contacting me saying thank you for sharing your story really helped me and I've made changes and I've got my period back because of you. That's honestly, I could die tomorrow and be happy. (laughs) Sharing our story, I think, is one of those things that really connects us and it takes a lot of vulnerability and bravery. And I just, uh, yeah, no, it's fearless for sure because it is so scary. So um, that's that's a great one. And I'm so happy that you shared it too because... Uh, I know certainly like when I was going through this um, several years ago, it was something that I was Googling like crazy. And so had I come across somebody else kind of going through it, I'm sure I would have felt much more kind of supported and connected. Mm, And that's the big reason why I wanted to get, you know, people like you and, and Maddie Moon and other contributors in my book to write their stories. So it wasn't just me saying I've been through this. And so, and that's the feedback that I've received from everyone is they really, really enjoyed reading all the contributions and realising that they're not alone and to know that there's a bunch of health professionals in there that have admitted that they had hypothalamic amenorrhea and so it really was comforting for them. So I thank you so, so much for contributing to that. It was invaluable. Oh, you're so welcome. And so where can people find this? Where can where can they find you and uh, where where can they find your book? So the best place to find me and my book is my website, which is www.theholisticnutritionist.com. Um, and there's a tab on there which goes to my ebook, and it can be details are on there. You can purchase it through there um, or you can shoot me an email and get in touch if you have any questions or concerns. Um, and I'm on Instagram and all of the social media, but that's through my website as well. Yeah. And so I will link to all of those things in the show notes here today. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for being here. It was so great. It was so good to talk about this stuff. Cause I think that it's a really important topic that's going to resonate with a lot of, of women. And, uh, I just love that, um, you know, you put together this book and that you're doing all this work and I wish you all the best on your, your baby, your daughter that's, uh, arriving very soon. Thank you so much, Summer. And thank you for doing all that you do with your body image work. And I think, yeah, there's not enough of us speaking about it and it's amazing. So thank you. Well, thank you for spreading the word too. (laughs) Rock on, Kate. If you like what you've heard, please head to iTunes to leave me a review. It will take two seconds and I would be super grateful. Click on reviews and ratings and then click to rate. Easy peasy. You can do it on your phone right now, just while you're driving even. Just kidding. And don't forget to head to summerinnit.com or thebodyimagecoach.com to grab your free rule breakers guide to rocking your bod plus the 10 day body confidence makeover plus your exclusive invite to my free online community all for free, 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 free. Cool. All right. Until next time, rock on. (laughs) 